This is the Farmington Feed, bringing you information from the city of Farmington. Welcome back to another episode of Farmington Feed. On today's episode, we have Bailey Kinski. She is a conservator with Valkyrie Conservation who helped us on a huge project for the city's 150th anniversary. Today we have Bailey Kinski here. Welcome, Bailey. Thank you for having me. Bailey owns a business called Valkyrie Conservation, where she restores and preserves and conserves old books. Bailey took on the project of restoring our 150-year-old city charter and first ledger. When I looked at these documents first, I thought that they were in pretty rough condition. The ledger's cover was almost completely ripped off, and the charter was being held together with pins, basically. But your assessment of them was a little bit different than mine. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct for having not had any previous work done and for being as old as they were, they were still relatively safe to handle and was kind of a nice, easy way for me to start and made it safe for me to do the analysis that I needed to do. So yeah, actually they were in, compared to some of objects that I've worked on, were in actually really great shape. That's great. So I know that the way that we kind of held them over the years was in a plastic bag, basically in a cabinet. Do you have any recommendations, like if people have old documents, how should they store theirs? Yeah, I think close to low humidity as you can. So avoiding those damp Minnesota basements Mm -hmm. as much as possible, not always feasible for a lot of people, but and attics can sometimes be tricky too. So if you can have them on, you know, main floors or at the very least, if you're going to have them in the basement, have them up off the floor so they're out of uh, the way if you do get water in your basement, which I know is a common thing here in Minnesota. You know, I think the fact that you guys had them inside plastic bags was actually a great thing that helps to protect from moisture, but also pests, bugs, insects, rats, mice, anything that could get into them. They love paper and the adhesives and stuff that are used in a lot of archival material. But also the main thing is just to avoid having it in spaces where you have huge temperature fluctuations or humidity fluctuations. So, and also... You know, if you can avoid keeping things out of direct sunlight, that's a big thing. A lot of inks and even in just paper can be, can degrade from UV exposure. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the treatment that you did to the city charter and the city ledger? Yeah. So for both of them, uh, well, we'll start with the charter. The main goal for that was to make it more easily easier to handle um, without risking damage to the paper. The The paper itself, it's basically typewritten on a very, very thin paper. And it, it was yellowing and it had had some fraying and tearing around the edges. And just being able to flip the pages, they were still like very flexible, but the thinness of them just, it was at risk for further tearing. And because it's such an important document to the city, you know, you want people to be able to access that and view the contents. And so, so for the charter, the goal then was basically encapsulation, which means they were put into pockets of what's called a polyester sheeting. It's basically a clear plastic envelope, not 
lamination so it's not that the the plastic was adhered to the surface of the paper but it's more a static pocket that just holds those pages secure within there and then you're able to basically handle those pages through that encapsulation versus individually directly touching the paper and then once all I think it was 42 pages yes of the charter those were encapsulated and then they were bound within a hard cover just cloth covered binding just so that they could be flipped on basically the the long edge now like a a more traditional format of a book in the beginning it was pinned kind of at the top so you'd flip through exactly (laughs) one thing that I didn't know is that there was page numbers at the top where they were binded so that was a pleasant surprise at the end there yeah that can be a tricky thing with archival stuff sometimes page numbers weren't always traditionally printed on you know ledger paper or anything like that so I have to be very careful when I take things apart that I don't lose the order of what it came in. Otherwise, you have to do some very investigative context clues. But luckily, I was very happy to find those hand. There's handwritten page numbers at the tops of each page. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. So what else did you do to the city charter? There were several pages that had had some pressure sensitive tape what you think of as like scotch tape on some of the page edges where there had been some fraying and tearing. Unfortunately, I was not able to remove those just because it was too much of a risk to remove them without tearing the paper or losing some of the ink. And so it just wasn't worth the risk. But there were some mending that was done with, I use what's called a uh, heat set tissue which is tissue that I pre-make. It's, it's a long fiber Japanese tissue that I coat with an adhesive that is reactivated using a, a hot tool, basically. And I chose to use that because typically I would use what's called a wheat starch paste, but that involves moisture. And the ink that the charter's typed in is very, very sensitive to moisture. There are some old moisture stains or where the the ink is bled on some of the pages so that's how you could kind of tell yes and I did a very small amounts of testing just to make sure because paste is much easier to work with often than heat set tissue um, just because it's a little bit stronger hold but because this paper was so thin I don't want my repairs to be so strong that they could cause damage in the in the future either so it ended up being a great solution where I just lay this tissue down over tears and then I use what's called a hot spatula to just press that repair into place without the use of moisture. So I just use that to just in a few select areas so that I was able to safely insert those pages of the charter into the encapsulation without risking damage or so that they could be removed as well safely. That's um, so interesting. Yeah. So that was the other big part that I think you brought up during our initial discussions was the ability to take these pages out of their encapsulations as well. Because typically, if we encapsulate something, it it will be encapsulated either using tape or welding on all sides of a document. But in this case, we wanted the ability to be able to remove them without destroying the encapsulation. So I designed each encapsulation or each page so that it would be open on two of the four sides so that it could hold the document securely while you're flipping through the pages, but also that the sides could be opened up um, so that you could remove the actual paper charter page for 
you know, if you wanted to do some sort of digitization later on in the future, or if, you know, for whatever reason you wanted to remove a single page, you could do that. That is so cool. You're so creative to come up with a way to make it work for us. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you for trusting me with it. Yeah. (laughs) One other thing that I wanted to bring up is the deacidization treatment that you did. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? The tricky part with this, again, because of the moisture component, there's several ways to deacidify objects. And it's always recommended that we do deacidification before encapsulation because once you put it into this pocket, it sort of, as we like to say, it kind of cooks in its own juices. So if we can, paper and the ink are all kind of naturally acidic. So if we can help to lower the acidity and introduce some alkalinity that can help slow sort of the acidic degradation process. So ideally I like to wash documents in a full bath of water that is conditioned with an alkaline um, component, but in this case it would have completely bled away the ink. Mm -hmm. And so I use what a lot of archival and book conservators use is a is a product that's called bookkeeper and it's uh it's a bottle it's a it's a liquid spray form and so what i did is i i tested it on a small base obviously at first to make sure it was safe but i did each page laid on a what's called a cotton blotter which is an a highly absorbent surface so that I wasn't letting any extra moisture just sit around on the document. And I just misted this deacidification spray. I believe it is calcium hydroxide is the main component in it. Two that I go back and forth between is a magnesium oxide or a calcium hydroxide. Both are, are commonly used for deacidification. And then the nice thing is that it's it has an alcohol component, so it evaporates very quickly. So oh. it doesn't sit on the surface very long. Yeah. Um, and I just make sure that when I have the page laid out, I have the four corners of the page kind of underweight so that it doesn't want to curl up on itself. Mm-hmm. So as it dries quickly, it dries flat. And then that's pretty much it. Was there anything different about the city ledger that you worked on? So the ledger, well, it was a, a lot more pages we were dealing with. And it had a lot more different types of varying media. We had everything from graphite to blue, probably fountain pen, iron gall ink. So there's all sorts of different solubilities in there. But luckily, you know, it all worked with the deacidification process. The main goal for that one was that the text block or all the pages were still very secure in their binding or the way that they were sewn together. The main thing was that the cover had been through <laughs> the ringer. Through the ringer, yeah. <laughs> I, as a conservator, want to try and reuse as many of the original components as possible. And, you know, these are archival type documents. They're not, they were never intended to be these beautiful, ornate things. I think it keeps the integrity of the piece if we try and use many original materials as we can, even if they're not, you know, what we think of as traditionally beautiful. The cover had clearly had some water event in its past where the the cover had a leather spine and then marble paper covering both of the, the covers or the boards. Mm-hmm. And the leather on the spine had shrunk a little bit and that I think had also caused the adhesive to deteriorate. Oh. So it had, the entire cover basically had detached itself from the text block. The main 
portion of the treatment was spent on reattaching the cover. And the tricky thing was that the original leather, because it had shrunk, didn't touch up with the border of the the paper anymore it had pulled back from itself that and makes so sense. i lined the leather with a japanese tissue again i toned it with leather dyes because it helps to match the kind of the depth of color that leather has mm-hmm. and then basically was able to then reattach that to the cover it's sort of uh, the treatment is kind of traditionally called either a cover reattachment or it had some components of what's called a reback. It's a very common type of treatment because oftentimes the text block weight outweighs the strength of the attachment it has to the cover. So that's oftentimes reattaching covers is a very common thing in my field. So I bet. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been doing this type of work? So I started Valkyrie Conservation in. Well, technically 2019, it was, I registered it with the state of Minnesota. At the time was contract conservators, the title with the Minnesota Historical Society. And then that came to an end basically when the pandemic hit. And so that's when I went full time into private work. However, I've been working in the field of conservation since the end of 2011. And part of that is because there's a pretty rigorous training that's involved before you apply. So I went to a graduate program in 2015, graduated in 2018, but between 2011 and 2015, it was all preparation for application to the program. So I was working in conservation labs and in a bookbinding studio for several years before I went into grad school. So I've been associated with the field for, I guess, about 10 years now. Okay. So what made you want to get into it? I finished my undergrad here at, I went to the University of Minnesota Morris and I graduated with my bachelor's in art history and a minor in philosophy, which I think is probably the butt of many academic jokes, (laughs) (laughs) that major combination. But I knew I wanted to kind of work in the museum field, but I had no idea what capacity that was. My husband was a biochemistry major and went on to do grad school for pharmacology and toxicology. So he had a very sciencey background. And I was sort of, I've always been intrigued with science, but always a little bit more creative. I loved art and making my own art, but not enough to make that my career. So, yeah, so it was uh, kind of a balance. <laughs> yes, yep. exactly. And I didn't come across, I guess, I, I knew sort of how I wanted to be working hands-on with museum artifacts, but I didn't know what conservation was at the time. And I didn't even know how to figure out what that was until several, I think, so it would have been two years after my graduation. I finally was like, I just sat down and started Googling keywords and the word conservation kept coming up and it brought me to the the graduate programs in conservation. I kept seeing you needed a background in art history and studio art and chemistry. And I was like, it was just like this light bulb moment for me that it's, I needed both sort of the logic of science, but also the creativity of art and conservation just was that kind of perfect, like combination of the two. And then once I got into that, I started taking my organic chemistry courses And then I began working and taking classes with a bookbinder in Tucson, Arizona. 
books just kind of clicked for me because again, it had the duality of books have to function as a book, but they also can be aesthetically beautiful. So I guess it's just always been this duality for me that conservation sort of satisfies where I didn't have to pick or choose. Right. <laughs> one or right the other. in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I did a Google search on you. Yes. One of the most prominent stories that pops up is your work on a 250-year-old Bible. Is that the oldest document you have worked on? No. I've had the pleasure to work on some really cool stuff just in the short time that I've been in the field. That, at the time, was the oldest Bible that I had worked on. And and I, I think at the time I was a little caught off guard with just I had I most mostly seen 19th century Bibles that come in or 19th century archival material, um, just because that's a lot of people's family history. A lot of them just go back to the 1800s, you know, when they came over from Germany or Norway or wherever. And so to see, you know, an 18th century was a little more unusual for me and not something, it just sort of caught me off guard. I'm trying to think the I think one of the oldest documents I worked on was actually this really, I was doing an internship at the University of Iowa Libraries uh, in 2016. So I was still a part of my graduate program and they had probably seven or eight Buddhist scrolls and they were dated back to 600 to a thousand, I think, AD. So, um, and so we went and had to, they had been, pretty heavily pest chewed mm-hmm. so we had to slowly unroll them and then mend all of these pest holes and frayed edges of this scroll but they were really beautiful and pro- that's probably the oldest document that I've worked wow, on that is really old yeah <laughs> was that the most complicated one that you've worked on no that one was I mean that was very intricate, but it was a lot of the same thing over and over and over. I mean, because it must have been probably 30 feet and it was just patching holes with tissue and, and weed starch paste. The treatment that I did that was featured in the in the Star Tribune that you mentioned yep. um, was actually a very involved treatment. I can imagine the pages were very thin. They were very thin. I had to take apart the entire binding into its individual gatherings, basically, and mend each gathering. And then I re-sewed the whole book. And it was probably a good like four. It was a small book, but it was like four inches yeah, It seemed thick. pretty thick. <laughs> but it was so nice. It fit right in the palm of your hand so nicely. And then did a full like new leather binding and some tooling on the spine. And one of the things I was most happy about with that was that it had his family's genealogy, handwritten genealogy, that I believe had been written on the end sheets, which are end sheets and books are designed or added by binders to protect the text block. And now it was like those pages were too fragile and too important to serve as protection for the rest of the book. Definitely. And were because of their location, previous location, or to say on the outside of the text block, they had been pretty heavily handled and were very fragile. And I just, I recommended to the owner to let's try not to put these back in the book because they're just, putting them back in would be detrimental to them. I encapsulated them similar to the charter so that he could handle and and 
research and you know have easy access to the originals but then I went in and imaged them and then created facsimiles that I printed on archival tissue basically and then reattach them in their original location so that oh cool they still live within the bible just the originals are safe and not at risk anymore and then to view their contents you didn't have to open the book every time and so there were just a lot of moving components to think about and then on top of that then I created a, a custom housing for that that held the original cover and that I took off and didn't put back on and then all of the encapsulations and the original genealogy pages and they were all housed within this one box awesome so yeah it was a really fun project but a lot of moving moving parts (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mentioned this whole city charter project to a local resident and they said they would love to have their house deed fixed up it's like a house from the 1800s basically if someone has a project like ours that they would like preserved or conserved, where should they go and how should they start researching? We can sometimes be a little tricky to find, which is why having that article that I had was such good exposure for me because a lot of people, first off, haven't heard of conservation, but also just don't realize that it's a thing that anybody even does, fixing documents. I would say the main resource for the United States is the American Institute for Conservation, or AIC. They, If you go to their website, which I think is just AIC.org, they have a find a conservator directory. And oh. so you can find them, I believe, by region, the private conservators, I should say, that can take on work. And specifically for like a house deed, there are different specialties within the field. So even just knowing to look for someone like me, a book and paper conservator or an archives type conservator, there are other specialties like objects, which encapsulates basically anything that isn't book, paper, paintings or photographs. But then more locally, a great resource for Minnesotans is the Minnesota Historical Society. They have an outreach program that you can just, you can contact them just through their website, which is mnhs.org. And they can help refer you to conservators in the area. They, It might be regionally that they have a directory of conservators for you're also more than welcome to contact me. I have a website which is mnbookrepair.com or my email is valkyrieconservation at gmail.com. Even if you're not sure who to reach out to, you know, I'm happy to direct people if you have questions like, is this something that can even be done? Mm-hmm. So I do book and archival paper, so like newspapers posters books but there are also strictly paper conservators who are more refined in their paper treatment procedures so they treat things like works of art on paper fine art prints watercolors pastels charcoals that sort of thing and we do have some conservators in minnesota who can do that as well so yeah i recommend aic the minnesota historical society or just reach out to me and i can help try and navigate and and lend a hand. (laughs) And I found you through the Minnesota Historical Society. I think for me, having such a 
important document. I wanted to reach out to them so that they could point me in the right direction. I was really worried about finding someone who wasn't legit or something like that. Yeah. And they recommended you right away. And then we just went from there and it's been great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And then I heard you are going to be starting to work for them pretty soon here. What is going to be your role there? Yeah, I had the good fortune of being hired by the Minnesota Historical Society for their book and paper conservation lab. So I'll be starting the first week of October here. Congrats. Coming up up quick. That's so exciting. Yeah, so they have, including myself now, four conservators on staff who treat primarily the historical society's collections. So they have an objects conservator, a textiles conservator, and then there are two book and paper conservators there that serve the archives and, and the historical society. So... Yeah, so it's going to be a huge change of pace from private practice for me. I knew I wanted to come back home to Minnesota when I finished grad school. And the institutional positions for conservators in the Twin Cities are few and far between. I bet. And so I never expected the opportunity to really become available at a, a convenient time for me, at least. And this just kind of, by good fortune, came available. And I think... Between private practice and the pandemic, I'm ready for a little bit more social like interaction yep, in my career. I bet. <laughs> so, but I am still going to continue to do my private work on the side. Won't be able to take on as many projects at a time. So I'm still happy to be a resource. But also, I think it's a great way to be tied to the historical society. Allows me to reach a larger audience as well as a conservator, and also a bigger network that I can help bring people to as well for resources. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting change. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And is there anything else you want to add? I think one of the most important things to take away from here are, like you brought up, is how people can find conservators. I would just recommend before you try and do any DIY type projects on your historic artifacts or family heirlooms reach out to some of those resources because you know it doesn't cost anything to ask don't be intimidated or feel like my item isn't worthy of treatment because oftentimes the most interesting projects that I've worked on have been of sentimental value not monetary value and it's always worth you know a second opinion before you make any drastic decisions to put tape on your artifact or you know cut up a newspaper article to save one portion just ask for a second opinion or reach out to a professional because that's what we're there for we want to be a resource um, for you so yeah but thank you so much for thank you you've done me yeah you've done some (laughs) amazing work and I know everyone at the city is super happy with it and we are looking forward to showing it off and getting out there and just showing the awesome work you did so fantastic thank you so much thank you and thanks for joining me today Once again, thank you to Bailey for joining me today. This has been a really neat project to see all of the work on the original city charter in First Ledger. There are digital copies of each page that are available for viewing. Please reach out to me, Lauren, at communications at farmingtonmn.gov to request to see them. That is all I have for today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to the Farmington feed wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.